Welcome to Subway Sports Talk. Dan, 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 clear of the closing doors, please. Right, here we go. Welcome to Subway Sports Talk. My name is Peter Kennedy, and I am your host. Thank you so much, as always, for tuning in to SST on Apple Podcasts, app, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. We appreciate you the same. And also, don't forget to now subscribe to our YouTube channel, Subway Sports Talk. Hit the notifications button so you know when we drop some new videos. For example, today, if you're listening to this on your podcast app, you're going to hear this in succession. There's going to be some Nets chatter, some Sixers chatter, etc., went on YouTube, you'd see a little Nets video, you'd see a little Sixers video. So if you only want to see something specific or you just happen to be on YouTube, want to check it out, go ahead and do that there. So yeah, obviously we got some NBA to talk about. We had three pretty good games, honestly. The ending of Boston versus Brooklyn was not quite as close as the rest of the game was or, you know, as it seemed it was going to be as it led up to the end of that fourth quarter there. Same goes for Milwaukee and Chicago. You know, felt like Milwaukee was knocking on the door to complete that comeback or really make it close, come down to the last seconds. Chicago held on. Big shout-out to them. We'll get to them on later. And the Sixers-Raptors obviously went into overtime. Embiid with the big-time turnaround three from the left wing to basically win it. Not quite a buzzer beater because there was still time on the clock, but what a performance from Joel Embiid. What a shot. We'll get into all of that. Don't you worry. Just me today with the solo pod. Before we get into all that, quick word from our friends over at DraftKings. The NBA playoff means next level basketball. Get in on the first round action with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. You got to hear this deal they got going right now. This week, new customers can bet $5 on any team to win and get $150 in free bets instantly. Now, to clarify, that means you just got to bet $5 on any team to win. They don't even have to win. So if you thought the Bucks were a lock against the Bulls and you bet your $5 on them, doesn't much matter. You still walk away with $150 in free bets instantly. You win no matter what. All DraftKings Sportsbook customers can also bet on NBA hoops with same-game parlays. Combine multiple bets from the same game for bigger payouts. The more legs you add, the more money you can win. Plus, each day of the first round, Get a risk-free bet up to $10 if your same-game parlay does not hit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TBPM. Bet $5 on any NBA team to win their game during the first round of the playoffs and get $150 in free bets instantly. That's promo code TBPM at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Let's talk about the Brooklyn Nets and the Boston Celtics in a game that was epic for a long time with a little bit of a lackluster ending, especially if you're rooting for those Brooklyn Nets. There's a lot to talk about, a lot to break down here, and it's not all pretty for the Brooklyn Nets. And right now you're feeling real good if you're rooting for the Boston Celtics. And it was the perfect dichotomy of two teams with great talent, with great potential, one of which reached it and one of which did not. And that really goes to the team play and defensive intensity from Boston, while the Brooklyn Nets, even when they were hitting shots and leading for most of that game, were not playing a great team-balanced style of offense, and they were relying on shot-making 
and shot creation from individuals like Kevin Durant, who had a bad game. We'll get to it. Kyrie didn't even get up a lot of shots. We'll get to it. Goran Dragic came in and gave some good numbers, had some good minutes, some good possessions, but there was never a true sense of team effort, team offense that the Brooklyn Nets hit stride on into that fourth quarter. There were points there where Patty Mills hit a big three on an offensive rebound. Drummond was getting a bunch of offensive rebounds. Seth Curry hit a couple. Bruce Brown had a really nice game. You would think when saying all of that stuff that that means the Brooklyn Nets would win. However, for the most part, it was offensive rebounds. It was broken possessions, getting these shots to these other guys. But in, in reality, the main effort, which turned into the main struggle, was this one-on-one attempted ISO ball style that Durant, not as much Kyrie, uh, because he just didn't take that many shots and wasn't that involved in the fourth quarter, but Durant and some others were going after. It's not always sustainable. And when you play a team like the Boston Celtics, who have had one of the best defenses in the entire league this season, it's not the best way to attack. And you saw this in years past with Kevin Durant, where it, it wasn't necessary for him to do that all the time until it was time, until it was absolutely necessary and there was no other way to go. That was with Golden State, right? Motion offense, constant ball movement, constant off-ball movement with Golden State. We saw it the other day when they demolished the Denver Nuggets, right? It's still the same thing in Golden State. Kevin Durant fit in seamlessly, and then when they needed that bucket getter, that moment where it's like, all right, the motion ain't cutting it right now. One-on-one, go get one. KD was your man. In reality, KD was that guy last year too, even though they came up slightly short against Milwaukee uh, with a shorthanded roster and banged up roster. But over periods of time, that becomes more and more difficult to sustain, especially with length and strength of Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, uh, Al Horford, Grant Williams, guys who can get into his, his chest a little bit, get into his lower half to make it more difficult, and clearly it was affecting him. Sending the doubles at the right time made him uncomfortable. And, and you don't see Kevin Durant have these types of games very often. And, and I've seen this narrative now go on on Twitter and people on online and whatever saying, oh, Kevin Durant always seems to get a pass for playing bad. Uh, he, he, he doesn't deserve that. No one deserves a pass. Why are all these other guys getting crapped on when they play bad, not Kevin Durant? I'll say this. Go back to Oklahoma City, and he got crapped on. Yes, he freaked out and you know criticized Oklahoma City's newspaper for putting out a snarky headline, uh, Mr. Unreliable, I believe it was. So he got crapped on back then. But since that point, since he left Oklahoma City, when has he been bad, right? Can you think of many times he's been bad? I can't. I cannot. And now that he has been bad, basically, for, for his standards and in general, for two games in a row, he deserves some criticism. And he looks a little bit weak, a little bit uh, not 100% from an explosiveness standpoint, getting those shots up, getting to the rim. And a lot of shots are coming up just short. And what is that from? Is that from the extra effort that he's needed to put on himself to get this team to this point? Is it also from playing 45 minutes so often, especially down the latter part of the season? Is it from the Boston Celtics really putting together this intense defensive effort? I think it's both. I think it's all three, perhaps. So what's the answer? I hear a lot of Nets fans out here complaining about Steve Nash often. It's not something I typically agree with, but it's something that I hear 
And I want to, I want to think about why people are saying this. And what I would say back to them is who's the better option, right? You're going to get rid of Steve Nash right now. Who are you going to get now to, to fill in that role? Obviously it's not happening right now. It doesn't really matter. But the one pe- thing people say about Steve Nash is his rotations. Tonight is a point where it's a little bit of a breaking point. They could have won that game. They were up the whole way, despite never really feeling like they hit a perfect stride. They were still leading that entire game, which is a testament to their talent and the individual performances they got from some guys. Never really hit stride. But the one thing I thought they could do when it comes to rotations that people have been complaining about a whole lot, and I'm not going to say it like Blake Griffin and LaMarcus Aldridge are going to completely change the outcome of a series, but sometimes it's not about what's going to happen across the entire series, but what can happen in one moment that trickles down to the other members of the team, seeing is believing and seeing how uh, a little thing, an extra pass, an off-ball screen movement can make a difference. The one thing you get from Marcus Aldridge and Blake Griffin is know-how. You know, Blake can't move. Clearly, he's been out of the rotation. I'm not saying he's going to come in and hit three corner threes and an acrobatic layup. That's not what's going to happen. Marcus Aldridge was a decently important piece of this team for most of the year. Now he's out of the rotation. I'm not saying he's going to go six for seven from the field and drop 14 points. But what can you do? to help segue this team into playing the better style of basketball, the style of basketball that helped get the lead in certain points, and then the style of basketball that completely slipped away from them when it became a one-on-one battle for Kevin Durant, Kyrie, Goran Dragic, Bruce Brown, whoever had the ball in their hands, right? Blake, LaMarcus will make the right play. They'll move the ball. They make the right screens. They do what needs to be done. So I can hear the, the argument for putting those two guys in the game simply to mix it up. That's really all I was thinking about. What can they do to mix it up to get this Brooklyn Nets team playing with the right mindset? Because there was points of that game where I felt their mindset was off. And it wasn't that they weren't playing hard. It wasn't that they didn't care. It's the farthest thing from that. Stan Van Gundy was harping on it the entire game. Playing hard does not make up for fouls. When you play that hard and you're intense and you're trying to make the big play, that's great. But when you hack your guy and you get two free throws when it's a bad foul, that's not great. On the flip side, on offense, it wasn't that they weren't playing hard. It's not that Kevin Durant wasn't caring. He was almost caring too much, right? He needed to give it up, get it back in better spots, maybe catch off the pass once or twice instead of constantly getting the ball in the high post, elbow extended, wing, top of the key with shot clock expiring, trying to do something when he didn't have any advantage where the double was coming right at the perfect time. Get some more of that veteran stuff, even for just two minutes. Then the guy, Nick Claxton, sees what LaMarcus Aldridge just pulled off there from the top of the key, right? Oh, how he moved the ball, how he cut after he passed and set the screen for the layup, right? Like, those little things can add up, and I think what has to happen for the Brooklyn Nets is that team effort on the offensive end. Everybody touching it a little bit more. And then when it's crunch time and it's time to make that last shot, yeah, okay, the ISO all you need to. But to get to that point, to sustain for four quarters, because really that's what happened. They hit the seven-minute mark in the fourth quarter, and it slipped away. It fell apart. To get to that end point, to that two-minute mark, that one-minute mark, that 30-second mark, 
where it's time for KD to be KD, put the freaking nail in the coffin and end something, to get there, you're going to need the whole damn team. And it's really hard to keep sustained success when Boston's now able to time up those doubles perfectly, putting on a real effort, making you tired, making you hurt, making you work. And Kyrie, on the other hand, I'm not sure what was going on there. You know, I don't want to jump to a conclusion that he didn't have the energy because of the the fast. I know he ate. It was a big thing in the first quarter. He got some some snacks to get the energy up. But it's weird to see Kyrie be a complete non-factor in a fourth quarter of a close game where he wasn't even touching the ball. So I'm not going to speculate, but it was it was bizarre. And what has to happen is everybody's got to touch it. Everybody's got to move off the ball. And then when it's time, crunch time, if you will, KD, do your thing. Kyrie, do your thing. But you need the whole squad to get to that point, clearly, because it's unsustainable for KD, Kyrie, Goran Dragic to go iso ball and just hope that Drummond and Brown occasionally get offensive rebounds or occasionally you find Bruce Brown cutting through the middle. It's not enough. It needs to be more more, uh, pointed, if you will. On the Celtics front, man, I'm going to keep this quick. Team team's playing serious basketball right now. There's no quit in this team. There's no fear in this team. And it, it's really impressive to watch with Boston playing the opposite style of Brooklyn. Now, you get your Tatum one-on-ones. You get your Brown one-on-ones on occasion. But I was so impressed with the cutting. I was so impressed with Tatum, you know, because he didn't have a great night tonight from shooting standpoint. But he constantly moved. He set screens. He had 10 assists tonight. Like it, it was a truly impressive team performance where, you know, if you're telling me that Jason Tatum has 19 points and then the Nets would sign up for that, right? They said, we probably won that game. It didn't happen like that because Horford hit shots. Horford made plays. Jalen Brown was insane, especially on that stretch run in the fourth quarter. Peyton Pritchard with eight points in the fourth quarter, all off cuts, all off back cut screens. Like this stuff was impressive. And when you have a team that can have their best player go five for 16 from the field and win, that's how you know you got the squad clicking on the right cylinder. On all cylinders, <laughs> I think is how that phrase works. So I'm impressed by Boston. I'm just going to finish off by saying the series is far from over. Far from over. Because they say a series don't start till someone loses at home. So Boston's got to go take care of business in Brooklyn. I don't think it's going to be an easy task. I think Brooklyn comes back strong. And uh, this is a series that you can't take your eyes off of, man. You can't take your eyes off it. It's great fun. I can't freaking wait. Uh, Shout out to Tatum, Brown, Pritchard, Horford, Smart. They all deserve their flowers tonight. Uh, And Brown specifically for putting the offense on his back a couple times, finishing on some uh, tough late shot clock possessions. but truly. The ball movement, the effort, the energy, the defense, the trapping of KD won this one for Boston. Great win. Can't wait for game three back in Brooklyn. I ain't counting this one out, bro. I am not counting this series out. I think Brooklyn still makes this a series. I say it's going at least six. I think it's going to go seven. And man, we got we got to see KD do something now because two games in a row lackluster. Woo-wee. Tell you what, the birds will be chirping if he goes 0 for 3. In this series, he better step up back in Brooklyn and Kyrie better not disappear in a fourth quarter. It's unlike him and they can't win without without both of those guys playing really well. 
But if they do, Boston will be scared. <laughs> so I'm not sure if Brooklyn's going to make that much of a series. But I, I, I do still have the feeling they will make it a series. I do still feel that way. So we'll put a nail on that one for now. But we will be back to talk Brooklyn, Boston. You best believe it. And let's talk about the Philadelphia 76ers with the buzzer beater victory by the hands of Joel Embiid. The last second three, not quite a buzzer beater, actually. It was 0.8 on the clock. But Joel Embiid, big time three, two seconds on the clock, goes up three against Toronto, and they take him down 104-101. Similarly to the Nets game, the Raptors had control for a long time. And by control, I mean just a lead. They didn't necessarily have control because the Sixers were looming and they played really well. And you got to tip your cap to the man, Joel Embiid, who just absolutely took over in that third quarter. Now, I was locked into that Boston-Brooklyn game until it ended, and then I switched over to Philly at Toronto. And the first graphic that I see on the screen is Joel Embiid has 15 points in the third quarter. I was like, damn. So that means he didn't have a great first half, which explains why Toronto's in the lead. And that means he's taken over in the third quarter, and I don't think he's looking back. And it's exactly what happened small window of time for Toronto to have their chance to take the lead back. And it went back and forth, back and forth. Obviously the game went to overtime and uh, they won on a buzzer beater, but I got to say this, it really feels like this series goes with, this goes with Joel Embiid. It is what it is, right? Like this series goes with Joel. If he can't be stopped, if he's going to go 12 for 20, if he's going to have 13 rebounds, I'm not sure the Raptors have what it takes to take down the Sixers. Now, to go along with it, James Harden, who obviously everybody's watching closely with his history of playoff struggles, he played well. He had 7 for 13, 10 assists. He did foul out before overtime started, which you know maybe he was happy about. He didn't have to play the crunch time moments. <laughs> That's a little mean, but it is what it is. It, it, it's the truth. And Tyrese Maxey played decent. You know, Tobias Harris didn't score a lot, but he did a lot of good things. He had 12 rebounds. I was impressed with what I saw him do on occasion, despite it not meaning much from the box score perspective. Like, the Sixers look good. But what it comes down to is, if Joel Embiid is going to go for 30 and 12 on efficient shooting and get to the line 10 times, I don't know if the Raptors have what it takes. Now, Precious Achua, who's a, a really, really nice second-year player here, who has done great stuff this year was tasked with guarding him. And he's given up about four inches or three inches. At least he's given up weight and it's not going to go well for him. Now, despite that, he still had a great offensive night, nine for 11, 20 points. It's a very solid night off the bench for precious. Ken Birch clearly couldn't hang. He only played 14 minutes. Like, is that going to be enough? Precious Achua, uh, Chris Boucher, stretching out Joel Embiid on occasion, trying to get him away from the basket. I'm not sure. And now Fred Van Vliet didn't play very well. Uh, he didn't shoot the ball very well. He's two for 10 from three. It doesn't happen super often for Fred Van Vliet. So can the Raptors win in this series? Yeah, they can win a game. But guess what? It turns out if Joel Embiid is on, it's incredibly, incredibly hard to take down the Sixers. Especially when James Harden plays decent. Tyrese Maxey plays decent. The Raptors just don't have enough. Got to give a shout-out to Gary Trent Jr., who played very well, uh, who's coming to the game a little under the weather, still played super well for, for the most part. 
couldn't really hit one late, but OG Ananobi deserves some credit as well. Played awesome this game, 8 for 18, 26 points. He, he just looked the part, and it's nice to see somebody step up to the plate because Siakam could not get going, and the Joel Embiid defensive matchup for Pascal Siakam is really tough, and that's another sentiment to give, another, another feather in Joel Embiid's cap here is his defense was incredible again. It really was, and you see Siakam, who's quicker than Joel, who's got a wingspan that could, in theory, get shots over or around Joel, really, really struggle to get comfortable going to the rim when Joel's guarding him. And this is a guy who can shoot a little bit too, Pascal. You see him take the step backs from mid-range. You see him take threes off the bounce. And with Embiid guarding him, especially late in that game, he felt no levels of comfort trying to get inside the lane or even to find an open jump shot with Joel, Joel around him. Uh, and, you know, I don't want to say the series is over, but the series is over. This one's, this one's not going well. It's a 3-0 lead now for the Sixers, and here we are. You know, I think maybe they'll get a little gentleman sweep, perhaps. Maybe the Raptors steal one at home. But the near MVP season, who knows what's going to happen with the voting. I don't really want to deliberate what should have happened with the voting. Embiid's been incredible all year. I know this. Hopefully you know this. Anyone who told you that any of the three candidates didn't deserve it, they're wrong. Everyone deserved it. Only one can win it. It is what it is. This dude's on a mission. This dude is serious. And when he's playing like this, the Raptors ain't have a chance. That's all we got on that series. Let's get some final thoughts in here, though, on the Bulls' win over Milwaukee. You got to tip your cap to Chicago, man. Everybody's counting them out of this series. Everybody thinks they don't have a chance, and they're probably right, right? Like, Chicago, do they have a chance? I don't know. Maybe they're proving something to us. I wish this team was fully healthy. I wish they didn't have the rut that they did throughout the second, uh, you know, second, third, third, third of the season there. With Lonzo Ball out, Caruso missed so much time. Love watching him back. Great seeing him play just winning basketball like he always does. Double-digit assists, wreaking havoc on defense, helping out rebounding. Caruso was great to watch. DeMar DeRozan, 40-plus point game. You know, great bounce back for him because the birds were chirping about his lackluster performance in game one. Guess what? The Bucks, man, I don't think they took the, the, the foot off the gas. I know Middleton went down late. I know Portis wasn't playing. But, yeah, they were playing, man. They they came out swinging just like they should have, and Chicago answered. They moved the ball. They played well. And it's real easy to poo-poo a series like that and just say, oh, come on, like, listen, they don't got a chance. It is what it is. Gentlemen sweep. Well, guess what? They're going back to Chicago with the series tied 1-1. And am I picking them to win the series? Absolutely not. But guess what? They're going to make Milwaukee uncomfortable. And that's way more than we expected out of this series. The first game was closer than it was than the score told us. And this time they took the win. Guess what? They go back home. They steal one. And I wouldn't call it stealing because they're home. But if they win one at home, boy, Milwaukee starts feeling some pressure. And all this pressure that we thought was on Philly and we thought was on Boston and Miami and Brooklyn. All of a sudden, this shoe-in that we're all talking about with Milwaukee is down 2-1 to the Bulls who've been flooding all, all the second half of the season. Got to give credit to DeMar. You know, 16 of 31 
from the field. Vucevic had a really nice night, 50% from three. Zach Levine, who I think could be more involved, I wouldn't mind seeing him take some possessions at the end of the game just because it's just like that one inch more dynamic from three uh, that DeMar just doesn't have in his bag. But you can't hate what DeMar did. You know, you just can't do it. Over 50% from the field, nine for nine from the free throw line. He, he was great. He was phenomenal and deserves to be the closer that he's been for them all year. So I don't have a ton to say in regards to this series because, you know, frankly, I was watching Brooklyn versus Boston, then caught into Philly-Toronto in like the middle of the third quarter. When that ended, I recorded the prior parts of this podcast and then jumped back in for the final like four minutes of Milwaukee-Chicago. But, man, they're, they're playing hard as hell. You got to love what they bring to the table. I'm happy to see Patrick Williams back in the mix for them. And, you know, they, they might make Milwaukee uncomfortable here. I still obviously going to take Milwaukee on the series. It could be a gentleman's sweep. We could look back and say that game was a blip. I don't think that's the case. I think they play tight all the way through. They might even win one more. This game, this is going six, and Milwaukee's going to have to, you know, get their, get their crap in order here because, you know, the Bulls are good, but they're a little more forgiving then Joel Embiid and the Sixers are going to be, the Heat are going to be, the Celtics are going to be, the Nets are going to be. Uh, so Milwaukee, get it together, Milwaukee, even though Giannis uh, looks great as always, had 33 points on over 50% shooting. Golly. yeah, <laughs> You know what I'm saying? So it's all good. They'll be back, and Middleton hopefully injuries, nothing crazy. Portis, they need him back as well. Um, but, yeah, that that's what we got here. So thanks for listening, y'all. Appreciate it. Quick little pod for you guys. Not too long, not too short. Just how we like it. So hopefully you enjoyed Subway Sports Talk. If you like what you've been hearing, go to the uh, podcast app, subscribe, rate, review to the podcast. We appreciate you so much for doing so. Or go to YouTube, comment on the videos, subscribe, hit the notifications button. We appreciate you so, so much. Putting in the work over here. Trying to keep growing this thing. Having fun doing it. So appreciate you all. Subway Sports Talk. We're out.